All right, well, welcome everybody. Today we're going to be in John chapter 15, verses uh, 12 through 17. So as, as um, you find that, I'm going to mention a couple of things. One, if, uh, <clears throat> if, if you didn't notice, there's a rough draft of a new church directory out on the uh, table out there in the foyer. If you would grab one of those and make sure your information is up to date and, and check that. If it's, if it's um, not up to date, let us know in the office. You can update it with QR code on the little card in front of you and you get a handy dandy mug. So um, pick out your mug, but I'll be honest with you, there were a whole lot of people in the first service and I think they already got all the good colors. So or at least it seems like there's two colors left and all the other ones disappeared. So I guess that means that those are the colors that are least favored. Um, but uh, anyway, don't worry about it. And, and so you can uh, go and find that in there. And so as, as we're going, we've been in a series. We started last week on building uh, on better together. And, and, and what it is, is how do we work together? How do we function together as a church, and this week we're in uh, looking at friendship. What is what is friendship? What does it mean to be a friend as, as we come in in the Bible? And Jesus um, shows us what it is. He shows us what friendship is. It's a commitment that's to another person that's not based on personal gain. It means that I'm, I'm your friend not because of what I can get from you, but because I genuinely care about you. I genuinely um, like you. It's built on love, not convenience. And that's what biblical community is. It's built on love, not on what's, what I can get out of it. We all have uh, some kind of a network that we use for our convenience. I mean, you probably have network at work, whatever your job is, and different people who do a similar thing. And, and that relationship basically is, is not built on, on what we would call biblical friendship. It, it's built on we have something that's tangible that we exchange between one another. When I need help, I know I can call you to get whatever it is, get information or whatever, and, and vice versa. But it may not go any further than that. It, it may just be, you know, a professional network where you um, help each other out. But, but typically, these aren't deep relationships with, with a lot of depth to them. They could build into that, but typically, they're built on a task and, and accomplishing some goal, whatever it is. Friendship is something that goes beyond networking. It's not just people that I'm acquainted with. It's people that I'm committed to regardless of what's in it for me. I have a commitment to you, not because I can get something out of it, but because I care about you genuinely. And Jesus showed us what this was like, and he modeled it with the disciples, and it's what true Christian friendship looks like. So as we come into John chapter 15, uh, Jesus begins, and, and by the way, John 15 is, is right in the middle. Of, you've had the Last Supper. Jesus had the Last Supper with the disciples. They've left the upper room. They've walked over. They're, they're up over somewhere by the Temple Mount, heading towards the Mount of Olives, and, and he's teaching them before he's to be uh, betrayed and crucified, and he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he would give it to you. Um, these things I command you so that my love may be in you 
or these things I give you so that you may love one another. So as, as we come in and look at this, I want to look at three things that characterize Christian friendship. Christian friendship is characterized, first of all, by sacrifice. Jesus talks about sacrifice. He loves us unconditionally. His love was never really based on what we could do for him. If, if we come in and we look at it, there's, you know, there's really nothing I can do for God. God does, I don't have anything that God needs. I don't have anything that he doesn't already have. I don't have any gifts or abilities that he does not already possess to be able to accomplish what I have or to put it out there. So his love wasn't based on that. It's a love that's based on restoring us to God's intended purpose. He, has res- he, he came to restore us to what he made us and created us to be. That's the ultimate purpose of the cross. Ultimately, that was the end, the end function of all of it. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he died so that we could be made whole, so that we could be redeemed from sin and that we could be made holy and righteous in the sight of God. So as we come in, that's, that's Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, interestingly enough, last week, this side was falling down. I don't know if you were in here, but um, in the second service, this side was falling down. And I didn't really notice it a whole lot when I got up, but they said, you know, as the service went on, it just kind of kept going down a little bit more. And we were afraid that it was going to crash during there and it's all fixed now. But I thought, you know, it's kind of funny because God didn't fail, but the sinners did. So, you know, it just kind of worked out that way. I said, well, it's, it's really appropriate that this is the side that crashed instead of this one over there. But friendship involves sacrifice. It involves sacrifice. And if Jesus, uh, it, and Jesus is the model for friendship as we come in there. So what does it look like? Well, first of all, as we come in and talk about sacrifice, um, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So first of all, sacrifice takes humility. Um, Jesus is, is described as, as being humble. And in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, um, he, uh, Paul begins by saying, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That, that's a good friend. That's a friend that cares about you. That's a friend who wants to do not for their own gain, but because they care about you. They love you. It's putting other people's needs ahead of our own. It's when I put my, my needs in the, on the back burner and put your needs ahead of mine. Um, caring for the other, other person even when there's a cost involved. So that's, that's a biblical friendship. It means that we help each other carry our burdens. It's not just that I um, do this in humility, but I also help other people carry their burdens. In Galatians 6.2, Paul wrote, carry one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. He was saying, you know what, when you help one another out, when you're there for each other, when you come alongside someone who is suffering or going through a difficult time, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? If, if you come in in John 13, we'll get to it here in a little while, but, but Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. So this is the love that, that's being spoken of here, and we're there for each other when we're facing difficult circumstances. When times get hard, we're there to care for one another. In Proverbs 17, 17, 
puts it this way, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So <clears throat> as we come in there, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. And I, and I have a friend of mine and he said, you know, one time he, he has a brother and he said, we were just going at it, the two of us. And my mom said, why are you doing this with your brother? And he says, well, it says it in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend, you know, a, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Bad bad analogy. Um, and, and he's like, and I said, so how'd that go for you? He said, well, it didn't go too well. I had to write it out like a thousand times and explain why I was wrong. And, and it is it's saying that a brother is born for, when you're in adverse circumstances, when things are going bad, when, when, um, <clears throat> when you come to the point in life where there are lots of difficulties, it said a brother is there for you. I've got two brothers and I would be there for them for any, you know, whatever difficulty they go through. We would do that for one another because you're born to be there, to stick it out, to, to be there. And it says the same thing. A friend also loves at all times. We're committed to keeping Jesus central to everything in our relationship uh, or in our friendship as we come by following his commands. He says this, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. At the end of verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So <clears throat> we're committed to keeping him central, to keeping Jesus central to everything in our friendship by following his commands. And, and so as, as we come in, Jesus begins to lay this out. He says, you know what? You need to live your life and love the way that I have loved you. And you are to keep my commands central to everything that I have called you to. In Luke 9.23, Jesus put it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him take a, uh, he must deny himself first, take up his cross daily, and then follow me. So, so as we come in, this is what Jesus calls us to. He, he says that um, following him means that we sacrifice our autonomy. Means I'm no longer in the driver's seat. Jesus is in the driver's seat. I am following him. He is not following me. And, and I am here for his plans and purposes, not my plans and purposes. And his plans and purposes lead us to strong biblical friendships that build us up and make him known. They build up the kingdom of God. At, uh, at the conclusion of our service today, we're going to have a baptism. Baptism is a picture of that. It says the old person has died. That, that there was a person apart from Christ. That pers person died. They were buried and raised to newness of life in Christ. That's the picture of going beyond, under the water and coming up. It's saying the old man is dead. He has been buried. And a new man has been resurrected to life in Christ Jesus. So when you see William go up here to turn off the water here in a couple of minutes here, you'll know that hey, just just getting everything ready. Because if you leave the water running here to fill the baptistry and fill it all the way up, it's not a baptism. It's an ice bath. So they're, they're, and I've done it before, and it, it was not pretty. But um, but but anyway, as as we go in and look, that's what that's what um, sacrifice looks like. And the second thing is openness. In in verse fifteen, he says, "No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you." So. As, as we come in there and, and look at this, we're not relegated to the place of servant or slave. What Jesus said is, I've made you my friend. I have brought you in to my inner circle. I've set you free from the bondage of sin and made you alive in Christ. I've taken you in, in your deadness and made you a living being. And he calls us friends in Romans 7, 4 through 6. 
is, puts it this way, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So uh, Paul said, you know, we have died. The old person has died. We're no longer living for our own fleshly desires, but instead we're living to follow Christ and we've been set free and, and now we are walking in the Spirit and, and following Him. So this freedom leads us out of darkness and it puts us into a place where we can be honest with each other about our struggles and our failures. You said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing and, and that's, that's the way it is. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid when, in high school, I worked in a grocery store. They never bothered to tell me about the intricacies of the grocery business. They just told me, you put the canned goods on bottom and the bread on top. Do not put the eggs on the bottom, put them on the top. And, and then don't break stuff because we lose money. And, and that was, you know, pretty much the extent of it. And they said, this is the way that you mop the floors. This is, when, this is the time of night that you sweep the floors. And this was what has to happen in the back. You know, you got to rack the bottles. We say, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. But, um, you know, these are all the things that you have to do before you go. But they never, you know, they never asked me about anything. You know, how do you think we ought to set up the grocery store or anything? They didn't care. I, I mean, it's like, look, dude, you just work here. You know, you come in, you bag the groceries, you carry them out to the cars and you say thank you and smile. And when you come back in, you do whatever the customer needs you to do. And so you come in because I was a servant. I worked there and there's nothing wrong with that. But this is what Jesus calls us to. He's not calling me to that. He says, I'm calling you to be my friend. And in that, I'm going to open up the pictures and, 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 and the things and the plans and the purposes of God to you. I'm going to make you a partner in that. You're going to walk with me and be a part of, of changing your community for Christ. You're going to be a part of impacting your family. You're going to be a part of raising up a generation of people who know God and love him and serve him. So this is where he's calling us. He's calling us to be friends. And, and if you look at it and you come in, in the biblical perspective, what does it mean to the people who heard this as they heard about being friends of Jewish people? You know, who, you know who was called a friend of God in the Old Testament? Abraham? Moses? I mean, that's, that's high company. That, for these people, these were, these were like the top-end people of the faith and said, you know what? You are going to be just like them. You are a friend of God. God said, I, I, don't, I speak to Moses face-to-face. With other men, not so, but with Moses, I, I have this type of relationship with him. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm not calling you servants. You love people, and you love them sacrificially, and then there is this openness between me and you, and there's going to be an openness between you and other believers as well because when we come in, we can share one, with one another about our struggles, our weaknesses, um, <clears throat> our hopes and failures and, and everything else that goes along with that. And we can choose to be open with one another in our struggles against sin because we all know that we have them. We all know that there are no perfect people in the room. Um, there are no perfect people in town. There are no perfect people on the planet. But, but um, as we come in, we understand that all of us begin at the exact same place, and that is with Christ. And what we bring to Christ is our baggage. 
We don't bring anything else to him. When we come to Christ, the only thing we have to bring him, the only thing I had to give Jesus was my sin. That's it. I gave him my sin and I gave him my life. As I came, he took my sin and he made me alive. And he gave me a hope and a future. So we can come in and we can understand that all of us began at the same place. That we were separated from God. That we were broken. That that we needed help. We needed redemption. And and we can openly share with one another. James puts it this way in 5.16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So James said that we need to confess our sins to one another. In other words, we need to talk about the things in our lives that we struggle with. And as we do that, we can pray for each other. We can encourage one another. We can help each other overcome the sin that's in our lives. And and that's not in lieu of confessing our sins to God. It's in addition so that we have someone in our corner, someone who can help us, someone who can be there with us and, and help us to avoid the sin that so easily entangles us and we're not alone. And then we understand that we're not alone. And look, if, if we want to do the battle in this world, we have to understand that we don't fight alone. We fight together with other people. We come together with other believers. And, and together we help each other because my struggles become something that you help me with. And your struggles become something I help you with. And we take those and, and together we pray for one another. We encourage one another and we help each other through the storm. So we're not alone. We're not intended to wage the war against sin alone. We need other people to pray for us and we need other people to pray with us and we need other people to sometimes hold our feet to the fire. We need other people to pat us on the back when we need it and when we've done a good job. We need people to cry with us when we hurt. We need people to rejoice with us when we have good things going. I mean, we need one another. We need this openness that goes together. In Hebrews chapter 12, um, the writer of Hebrews lays it out really well, but he lays it out after chapter 11. You you put chapter 12, the therefore in there in context. Chapter 11 is all of these saints who have walked with God and and the great things that happened in their lives and and some of them who were martyred and died for their faith. And and you come in and you look at, at everything that's happened. And then he comes in, he goes, therefore, in verse 12, he says, therefore, or chapter 12, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So, so the writer of Hebrews, he said, look, we, we just need to lay aside the sin, the shame, lay it all behind us, the weights and, and things that hold us down, and instead focus fully on the goal and, and trust Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith and, and understand that he followed God and he followed the plans and purposes of God for the joy that was set before him. He said, you know what? This life, it was tough. What Jesus did on this earth was tough. It was a tough life 
that he lived. And, and as he went through and did that, he did it looking to the joy that was before him, that he would be seated at the right hand of God. So as we come in, we, we understand that we are doing this together. It also, openness also means being discreet. It means that as we come in to do that, you know, one of the first things you probably thought was, you know what, can I trust anyone? Can I trust someone? Can I trust them with my greatest struggles? Can I trust them with my, my biggest insecurity in life? Can I trust them to not hold that and use it against me, but instead to hold it in confidence and to use it in, in, in a way that builds me up and prepares me for what God wants to do in me? In Proverbs eleven thirteen, it says, A gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps the confidence. A gossip goes around just saying everything, but somebody who's trustworthy keeps the confidence. And, and this is absolutely necessary when we talk about openness, that we have to keep our confidences. We don't leak our secrets. Um, or as in Proverbs 26, 20 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Just like your campfire goes out when you quit putting wood on it, when you cut out the drama, the rest of it ends too. And that's what, he, that's what the proverb says. You know what? Where there's no whisperer, where there's no one stirring up the gossip, where there's no drama, where there's no stuff going on there, the quarrel dies out. There's nothing to fight about. And, and there's nobody stirring the pot. There's no pot all, all jacked up and messed up, right? And, and so this is where we come in and we talk about friendship. When Jesus is saying, you know, laying down our lives for our friends, sometimes it's keeping their confidences and doing that because nothing will ice a relationship quicker than when someone shares confidentialities. If you want to mess things up, share confidentialities. One of the first, first things I ever heard, I remember um, when, when I was in seminary, that's where they send people to be preachers. Um, I don't know if it helped or not. But, but anyway, um, they, one of the first things in one of the classes, you know, the, one of the professors he goes, look, the last thing you do when you tell stories, you're going to hear all kinds of stuff. He said, but you never share people's stories without their permission. He said, because if you share somebody's story, here's what you've just said. Your story's open game for me to talk about. And, and you can't do that. And I thought, yeah, that makes total sense that, that you don't share someone's stories without their permission. That, that unless they have given your permission, to share, no matter how good the story is, or how good it makes them look, you just don't do it without their permission. And Jesus told his disciples that he was being open and transparent with them. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm revealing all of the secrets of heaven to you. I am showing you the things of God. You are my friends. You are in the inner circle of, of everything. They're hearing the inside scoop on everything from Jesus, and, and they had a relationship of trust and a relationship of openness, and, and that's what God wants us to have within the church. He wants us to be able to have some close friends, some close relationships that we have a high level of trust, a high level of openness, because when we come there, sin does really good when we keep it in the dark, and it, and it grows. It's like mold. 
But, but when you bring it into the light and you bring some other people around you who love you, who care about you, who desire the best for you, who want to see you grow in your faith, who want, you, who want to see you win. They want to see you win the battle. And when you win the battle, they feel great about it. They don't feel like, oh, you got ahead of me. No, instead they feel like, this is awesome. This is great. And they come in and they help. And, and this is where we come in. in this. And then finally, in verses 16 um, and 17, we see Jesus said, um, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He said, you didn't come to me, I came to you. You didn't even know you needed me. You were so, you were so dead in your sin and trespasses, you didn't even know that you needed me. And I came to you, and, and then I appointed you. I didn't just come to you, I appointed you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that would abide, fruit that would last, fruit that would endure forever. That's, that's an amazing picture. I mean, to be chosen, to be chosen by God is, is just absolutely mind-boggling. Um, you know, it always feels good to get chosen, right? When you remember when you're kids, you pick teams? You, you, you want to be picked first, right? I didn't get picked first all the time. Hardly any time. I mean, I was slow and short. So I grew taller, but I never got faster. So, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, but, uh, but as you come in, that's, that's what Jesus said. He said, I chose you. I came to you, and I chose you individually. And, and I've chosen you to be a part of my kingdom. So what he's saying, to bear fruit, he's talking about productivity. Friendship is, is produ- friendships are productive. They produce something. They produce fruit. And, and um, as, as we come in, the purpose of the, the friendship with Jesus, the purpose that they had, the purpose of it was to bear fruit. Jesus said, I, I have brought you in here for a purpose. So when Jesus came and, and he walked along the Sea of Galilee and he chose Peter and he chose James and John and Andrew, and then he went by and he saw, you know, so he sees these, ta- these fishermen. Then he goes off and he, he gets this, this um tax collector, this guy who's a turncoat, you know, he's, he's a traitor to the Jewish people, and now he's working for the Romans and persecuting them and, and, and extracting taxes from them beyond what they owe, and then he goes off and he passes up Simon the Zealot off in the back alley who's out there stabbing people in the dark, you know, to try to bring back the, the power of the Jewish kingdom, and, and all this different stuff going on, he, he chooses all of these people, he said, I chose you, I picked you. I just want you to know that, that I pick all kinds of people from all kinds of places, and I bring them, and I change them. I take what's dead, and I bring it to life, and he initiated it all with them. And, and it's something to remind ourselves continually that Jesus came to us. He came to you. He came to me. He came for the people who don't know him yet. He came so that they could experience life, and, and he brought us to God, and, and he makes it all possible and when we fully move to this level of love and and to love people the way that Jesus loves us there there are some incredible ramifications not only in our lives but in the lives of the people around us there's some incredible things that happen in there it's it's like you know when, when you come in have you ever been around a person they just make you feel better about yourself they're that person that you just want to be around. They're encouraging, that things are always good, um, and, and they, they just know how to make you feel like you're a part. And, and this, is what, this, is, this is what it's like to be 
fully accepted and, and to be a part of the group and, and, and be built up. And, and this here, this is even bigger. What we're talking about here, you know, that's, that's something that we can relate to in, in our lives. But Jesus takes it to a whole nother level and he says, I chose you and you're, you're welcome, you're accepted, you're loved, you're a part of everything that's going on. I'm making you, um, not only am I making you known to God, I'm making God known to you and the things of God known to you. And, and when we get to this point... Everything in our desires aligns with God because this is all built on love. It's built on love for others. It's built on love for God. And what Jesus said is he comes in here and he, and he has this line in here that's absolutely amazing. He said that you'll go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And then he says, so that, in order that, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You look at that and you go, wow, that is like a blank check. And it is. It's a blank check from God. It's a blank check from God to fill out when we ask things and we are living the way that God has called us to. Because here's the deal. That doesn't mean that I'm going to you know, ask God for a bigger bank account, ask God for all this stuff for me. No, he's saying, you know what? When you come to this point of, of sacrifice, this point of openness before God and others, and, and you come to this point of understanding that I've been put here to bear fruit, your prayers will align with the heart of God. What God is saying is, I've revealed my heart to you, you know my heart, and your heart has aligned with my heart, and when your heart and my heart are in the same place, amazing things happen in your life. He's saying, when you are asking things, not for your own selfish whatever, but you're asking things according to the purpose that I've created and made you for and placed you there for, I'm going to do some amazing things. And, and we, you're going to see things happen, and he's going to do this for others to see. So as we come in there, selfishness is no longer an option. He says selfishness isn't a part of this. It's not about you. It's, it's about your heart being aligned with God and his kingdom, and your concern is for others, not yourself. Your concern is, is based on other people, and it's something that those outside the faith see, and they're drawn, to, drawn towards. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you go back into the time when Jesus was speaking this, this was the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, it, it was, in a lot of ways, it was a lot, lot like our culture, even worse um, in, in terms of the morality and, and, and things that, that went on there. But, but if you came in and, and you come into the first century A.D. And, and you look in there, first of all, women had no rights. They were property. So if, if you were a woman, the only hope you had was that hopefully your husband would treat you right or that you would have a husband and, and you wouldn't be left to whatever means you could to get by. Um, so so it, was, it was a bad, bad place. They had absolutely zero rights and, and um, they, they couldn't even testify in court. I mean, nothing, nothing. They were, they were, at the, they were just one notch above slaves. So as, as you come in there, this was the first century AD. You know, in the church, you know how women were treated? As equals. In the Christian community, women were treated with dignity. They were treated with respect. They were loved. They were cared for. In the Roman community, um, if, if people, if a, if a man had, uh, uh, if his 
new baby was his wife has a baby and, and this baby's a girl, he could say, well, I want it or, or get rid of it. I mean, they just lay them on the side of the road and leave them. And, and you know what happened? The Christians would come pick them up and raise them. They would come pick them up and, and care for them. And, and as you begin to look, there was a love in this community. You see, as these people began to live out this new commandment, and, and you come in here, and the way that they treated people, they loved them, and they treated people with dignity and respect, and, and they saw them not as for what I can get from you, but what God has created you to be. And, and they began to build this community. Ultimately, within 300 years, they have flipped the empire. They flipped the Roman Empire. Now you think about that. This is Jesus. This is the night he's about to, to die. He's got 12 disciples. He's saying, I've trained you for three years to do this. In 300 years, in 300 years, the Roman Empire is, is at this point when uh, I think it was Constantine becomes emperor. He declares that the empire is Christian. At the time of the disciples, most of them were killed for their faith. And, and within a very short time, they were throwing Christians into the arena to be eaten by the animals. Um, they were burning them at the stake and, and so forth. I mean, there, there was all, this is amazing. Why? Why? Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Why? The thing that drew people to, to Christianity, it, it wasn't the doctrine. It wasn't the teaching. It was the love. It was the fact that they loved one another, that they cared for each other, that they cared for the weak, that they cared for the disregarded, that they reached out to people and brought them in. You see, Christian friendship is something that's unique. It's unique. It's not what's in it for me. It's I love you unconditionally the way that Jesus loves me. Jesus came to me when I had nothing to give him except for my sin and shame. And he came and he became my friend. And he gave me the keys to heaven so that I could make a difference in this world. I could reach people with the gospel. I could see lives change. I could see people turned from sin to Christ and, and turned in and to be made new again. You see, it's, it's not that other people don't have friendships. It's not that people outside the church don't have strong friendships even. It's that Christian friendship is built on the love of Jesus. And it's a uniqueness that makes other people wonder where it comes from. And they recognize as they see this, that this is not the world's normal love. This is something beyond that. This is something different. This is a people who are coming and loving when there's a cost involved to them. And it's a continual cost. It's that followers of Jesus invest in the lives of others and, and they invest in bringing them to Christ, you see. Um, and and as, as we come and we do that, we, we, we come in here and we invest our time, we invest our energy, we invest our dollars in, in, in all kinds of things that are designed not for us, but they're designed for the people who don't yet know Christ so that they can come and know him and experience him and, and taste this hope that we've received in him. And it's also investing in the lives of other believers. Sacrifice is not just investing so that we can bring people to Christ, but it's also investing in the lives of people who have come to Christ so that they can grow in their faith. They can have a greater understanding of who they are in Jesus. They can have a greater understanding of what it means to follow him so that... <clears throat> 
people can be taught, you know, this is what a Christian marriage looks like. This is what it looks like to be a Christian husband. This is what it looks like to be a Christian father. This is what it looks like to be a young person in a family, in a Christian home. This is what it looks like to pass your faith down to the next generation. This is what it looks like in my neighborhood as, my, as people look around and they see, they say, you know what, there's something different. So it's, it's as we come in, we not only bring people on the journey, but we teach them as they walk with us. And, and go along in Proverbs 27, 17, just puts it this way, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another or iron sharpens iron and one woman sharpens another. You know, it just comes in and, and we sharpen one another in our faith. And, and as we come in and look at that, so we have sacrifice, we have openness, we have serving. Another part of serving is prayer. Prayer is another aspect of friendship as we pray for one another in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Um, It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So as Paul wrote to this church in in Colossae, he said, you know what? From the moment we heard about your faith, we have been praying for you. We've been investing in you. We've been sacrificing our time to pray that God will do things in your life. And it's one of those passages of, of many passages mentioning prayer in the scriptures and praying for others to grow in their faith, to persevere in it and to impact the world with that faith. And, and so as we come in, one of the things that, that we're starting here as we go through the series and, and, and kick off groups, if you haven't plugged into a group, I've gotten great feedback from people who have talked about you know the, the group and the series that we've started. All of our groups are going through what, if you join a group today, what you'll go over in the group is what we talked about this morning in, in the message. And, and you'll have a time to discuss that and apply it and so forth. And they had really good good feedback so far. But um, <clears throat> one of the other things that we're applying is, is we're going to start having a, uh, a staff prayer time at 1030 on Monday mornings. We invite people to come or drop off your prayer requests for us to pray for you. Um, you can put them in the giving boxes on the back where you normally drop a check or whatever. You can drop your prayer requests in there or you can email it to chbc front desk like college heights baptist church chbc front desk at gmail.com and that's really long but that was the only unique one that we could find that fit so you know it couldn't be chbc office because some other chbc already got it those heathens um they didn't love us they were just thinking about themselves and in <clears throat> anyway, you can you can email it to that and and uh contessa will print it off on monday morning give it to us and you can come join us, but, but that's one of the things that, that we want to do because friendship is something that requires for us to invest in, to give. It requires sacrifice. It requires openness. It requires that we produce results, that we produce something out of these friendships. This is what God wants to do in our lives and, and through your lives. And honestly, I think that, you know, as we come in and, and we look at this and, and, and talk about community in our church, I think it's an amazing thing, an amazing opportunity that we have that we can join together and, and get better connected again in small groups. Uh, we, at one time, we had lots of people involved in small groups. It's, it's 
gotten a little bit smaller, but, but there's that opportunity. And we have groups that meet on Sundays, Sunday nights, um, Tuesday nights. I think there's two groups on Tuesday nights. There's a couple of Thursday night groups. There's a Friday night group. I mean, there are a lot of options out there to, to jump in and plug in and, and begin to go on this journey and, and to commit with other people. Say, you know what, I want to I be a part of what God's doing in your life, and I want you to be a part of what God's doing in my life as, as we go and, and we journey together as a church. Let's pray. Father, we <clears throat> come before you thanking you for the hope that you've given to us in Christ, for the love that you have for us, for the uh, many blessings that we've experienced in him. Father, we pray today that as we think about your word and think about uh, what, what we've sung today, what we've listened to, that, that we'd be drawn to you and that we allow you to wash through our lives and our hearts and our minds and draw us close to you. And we pray that as your people, you'd strengthen us, that you'd build us up, and that you'd use us to bring other people into your kingdom. We pray, Father, that the people in our community would see us as a people who love, who love beyond anything that they've ever seen or imagined. And that through that, they'd be drawn to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You stand as Greg leads us.
Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we just want to thank you today for the blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for Marcus and for him calling, coming here today to follow you in Believer's Baptism. Thank you for what you're doing in his life. Thank you for his family and for um, having them as a part of our church. And Lord, we pray that uh, today would be a very special day for him and, and for the family as, as, uh, as Marcus comes and, and follows you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is Marcus, and, and he's here today to, uh, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Amen. You guys can sit down if you want. Um, but uh, thank you. All right. And, and so Marcus has been coming to our church for, for a while. His folks have moved up here, and his mom works at the hospital. They're getting ready to uh, move away. And, but before they do, Marcus wanted to be baptized uh, publicly to show his faith in Jesus. Marcus, have you given your life to Jesus? All right, let's sit down. Marcus, in obedience to the commands of our Lord Jesus, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right here, come on. <laughs> Good job. All right, all right. You know, I just can't think of a better way to end a worship service. <laughs> I wish we'd do this every single week, don't you? Uh, it would just be amazing. All right. Hey, we're going to close in, in a word of prayer. And, and uh, you can congratulate Marcus and Ben and Callie as, as uh, we close out the service today. We're going to close now in a word of prayer. Jim Hamilton, would you pray, please? <clears throat>